Hi, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Cheryl, and you're listening to Carve Out Time, the podcast that invites you to set aside a few moments out of your hectic schedule to ask questions, learn, and grow. In this first podcast episode, we will be discussing going back to normal or facing a new normal amidst the pandemic. Here in Canada, we've only just begun to ease back into a relatively normal routine. The government recently announced that we're now able to eat inside restaurants, go to the movies, the gym, and so on. Although the number of cases have gone down thanks to the vaccines, how sure are they really about their long-term effectiveness? Or even the short-term effectiveness in the face of so many new variants? There still remains uncertainties, and that can make some uneasy about returning to their regular routine. On the flip side, the normal we're experiencing today isn't quite the same normal we once knew pre-pandemic, and this can also be unsettling for some. Joining us to discuss this issue is today's guest, Dr. Lori Merling, Clinical Supervisor at Rogers Behavioral Health in Miami. Hi, Lori. Welcome to Carve Out Time. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me. I know this has been a challenging time for healthcare workers as well, so we really appreciate you joining us. And you have quite an extensive list of credentials here. Would you like to do the honors of filling us in on your background in clinical psychology? Absolutely. So firstly, it's a pleasure to be here. I always say that OCD and anxiety and related disorders or anything along the lines of this topic is really something I'm so passionate about. So it's really a pleasure for me to be here and address these kinds of questions. Um, So I got my PhD from Nova Southeastern University uh, here in South Florida. And throughout that time, the focus of my research and study was on OCD and anxiety disorders. I subsequently, after graduating, or right before graduating, actually actually did my pre-doctoral internship at the Institute of Living, uh, the Anxiety Disorder Center there in Hartford, Connecticut, and I worked with a wonderful team. Um, And then after that, I completed my postdoctoral residency at uh, Rogers Behavioral Health, where I now serve as the clinical supervisor in our Miami regional site. So... Um, OCD, anxiety, and related disorders are really my life. (laughs) And you must have been faced with a lot of these uh, COVID issues uh, over the past year or so. Absolutely. It's been a really rough year for just about everybody, and it's exacerbated a lot of the existing uh, issues related to anxiety or OCD, and it's, it's been a very rough year for just about everybody. Yeah, I'm sure. Before we get started, I have a big announcement to make. I've come out of the closet, not the metaphorical closet, but my actual bedroom closet where I was previously recording. Thanks to Cliff Schwartz and his gang at the Wheel Club here in Montreal, where I'm now in a more conducive setting for recording. And by the way, they have their own video podcast called TVNDG, so check that out on Facebook. Also, a little reminder to the listeners that this podcast was designed to answer your questions, but unfortunately for this segment, no one submitted any. So either you guys were too shy, have extremely good coping skills, or a very good psychologist. But whatever the case may be, I had to improvise and came up with a few hypothetical scenarios of my own that hopefully cover some of the issues you're dealing with today. Okay, Lori, so here's the first question for you. I had social anxiety before the pandemic, so going out in large groups was already difficult for me. Now that things are starting to open up, my friends are asking me to go out. So far, I've been able to use the health concerns as a valid excuse. But now that things are more or less back to normal, I can no longer use that argument. And I'm embarrassed to tell them that I'm still nervous to go out in large groups. 
How can I broach the topic with them without sounding paranoid? Or should I try to push myself outside my comfort zone? So first of all, I love this question for a hypothetical question, Cheryl. It's pretty, um, pretty realistic. All and we've seen a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we've seen a lot of this come out over the past year and a half where for a lot of people, especially those who struggle with social anxiety or even at a non-clinical level tend to be more introverted, uh, actually found it easier um, and found the quarantine sort of a relief in many ways. And so... Um, the way I would address uh, somebody with these concerns is to first say I'm a huge advocate for the latter of what they mentioned, which is pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you why. Um, social anxiety is one of the most effective treatments for social anxiety. It's a form of cognitive behavioral therapy called exposure therapy. And what that entails, essentially, is having people face their fears uh, in manageable steps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when people are afraid of something, whatever it may be, in the context of social anxiety, let's say it's public speaking, what they tend to do is avoid it. Mm -hmm. And what avoiding it does is it negatively reinforces the anxiety. So what that means Um, or it's negatively reinforcing. So what that means is that when somebody has the opportunity to be social or speak in front of a crowd of people, they tend to find excuses or or ways to get out of it. Um, They'll avoid it at all costs. So, you know, you often see kids not going to school on the day they have a presentation or or baking sick or Mm -hmm. adults calling out of work if they have something going on or trying to delay an opportunity or, you it can know, even really manifest, it can manifest physically sometimes too. You absolutely. Know, physical pain. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and, you know, the symptoms, the physiological symptoms of anxiety, which mm-hmm. can cause like stomach disturbance and GI tract disturbance, things like that. Um, you know, uh, panic attacks or, or symptoms of panic attacks, like difficulty breathing and, you know, lightheadedness. So people might have these symptoms and actually feel physically ill when they have to do these things. And so they tend to avoid those things because they don't want to feel that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it never gives them the opportunity to overcome these things. So it works. Avoiding works because mm-hmm. it, it takes the anxiety away in the short term, but in the long term, it ends up maintaining it. And so what we have people do in the context of treatment is specifically exposure treatment is we have them in a stepwise fashion push themselves first maybe to do a talk or a presentation in front of a smaller group of people, maybe in front of two or three people if their fear is speaking in front of a crowd and then they increase it maybe to like seven people and then a room full of people and so on and so forth. Baby steps. That allows them... Sorry? Baby steps, basically, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That allows them in baby steps to really start to habituate to their anxiety. So Mm -hmm. when we say habituate, sort of the same concept of jumping into a cold pool and, and your body habituates to the temperature. So over time, the anxiety attenuates. Uh, in that actual scenario, like somebody's heart might be beating super fast the first 
two minutes of the presentation and then they get going and they're like, okay, this isn't so bad. Right. And so as they get used to it and take steps towards facing their fear, over time they overcome their fear. Mm-hmm. So, so in this particular situation, I, I guess the the mm-hmm. uh, logical step would be to maybe just go out with one person or, and then work your way two to three and and not just jump right into a large crowd? Or do you think they should just jump into that large crowd? Well, you know, that's actually something that we call flooding. <laughs> so <laughs> jumping into the large crowd would actually be effective too. It's just that you don't often get buy-in for that. Like most people aren't willing to, to jump into the deep end without learning how to swim first, mm-hmm. so to speak. So um, what we would recommend is, yeah, just take small steps to push your boundaries. And obviously, you know, if this reaches a clinical level and, and somebody really feels that they can't and needs the support, that's when you would seek professional help to address the social anxiety. But I'm always, as I mentioned, a huge advocate for pushing your comfort zone in these cases um, because the only way to overcome your fear is to really face it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so let's move on to the second question. When the sure. pandemic began... I became so obsessive about washing and sanitizing everything, and I was never like that before. Now that things are letting up, I find that I cannot stop this habit of excessive washing. Is this because I'm working from home and have more time on my hands, or could I have actually developed OCD? Okay, so firstly, I want to validate that this has been a really strange year for everybody, Um, and there are a lot more concerns about or anxiety surrounding the virus or being contaminated or germs. And that's not abnormal in the context of coronavirus. I mean, we've all been anxious about that. But let me answer this question by clarifying what OCD actually is so that one can differentiate for themselves if this is more normative behavior in the context of coronavirus or if they're experiencing something that may need uh, some attention. Mm -hmm. So true to its name, OCD consists of two separate parts. The first is obsessions. So obsessions are intrusive, unwanted thoughts, urges, or images that lead to a lot of anxiety and distress. So they can really be about just about anything. I mean, most commonly in the media, when we hear OCD, we hear, you know, OCD surrounding contamination. So the contamination subtype of OCD is what we call it, um, where people are very worried about contracting disease or, or feeling contaminated or needing to wash their hands several times to, to get the sense of being clean, which certainly is a, a part of or a type of OCD, but OCD can come in many different flavors. So I just want to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, it often comes up in the media as people are, or you'll just hear people say, I'm so OCD or you know, they'll think of somebody who has OCD as just being particular or needing things a certain way, and that's not what OCD is. Like a neat freak. Um, OCD is a real, yeah, it's not just that. It's mm-hmm. Everybody's on a spectrum, and everybody has their shtick, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. But, but OCD is something that's a lot more real and a lot more serious than that. Mm-hmm. So these are really intrusive and really distressing obsessions. So people, for example, let's take this out of the context of coronavirus for a minute. And this would be somebody who is afraid to leave the house because they're afraid that they'll inhale germs or contaminants when there isn't a pandemic going on Mm -hmm. or afraid to touch a doorknob or afraid 
to, to you know, um, use a public bathroom or something like that because there's so much fear surrounding that that they can't function in society the way the average person would. Um, and so these worries cause a lot of distress, a lot of anxiety, and lead to avoidance and ritualizing. So when I say ritualizing, that's a good segue for me to explain what compulsions are. So that the compulsive piece of OCD. Mm-hmm. So compulsions are repetitive behaviors that one engages in to alleviate the anxiety caused by the obsession. Mm-hmm. So that would be um, repeated hand washing or decontamination rituals, like needing to shower a certain way. And it, oftentimes showering is very systematic and takes an extended period of time. Sometimes people have to shower until they feel just right, like just like they're clean um, when they were clean, you know, the first time around. So it really can take up a lot of time and energy and leads to a lot of distress in itself due to the compulsions in addition to the obsession. Mm -hmm. So this takes up in order to meet a clinical level somebody would have to have these obsessions and compulsions taking up at least an hour of their day. And a good way to differentiate, because it's, as I mentioned, been a really strange time in the context of Corona. You know, people are out wearing masks, people feel the need to wash their hands, and that's adaptive in this case. Right, those are recommendations by the CDC. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So as long as they're following CDC recommendations in the context of coronavirus, that's fine. That's, mm-hmm. that's adaptive and necessary. But when somebody can't just meet those, qualif- or that, those recommendations and need to feel the need to do more mm-hmm. as compared to their loved ones or, or those around them, that's when it might be a little bit more of a problem that needs attention. Mm-hmm. So if it's interfering with their social or occupational functioning and they're, they're, you know, engaging in excessive behaviors, that's when it might be a concern. Right. So one can sort of judge for themselves as compared to others. If loved ones start noticing, hey, your behavior is a little excessive as compared to everybody else, Mm -hmm. and you feel that it's really stopping you from getting your work done productively or being able to just connect with other people or causing, you know, wreaking havoc in your relationships, if then that's something to look into. If it's disrupting your normal everyday functioning, I suppose, then exactly. you have to start to question it. And just like, you know, breaking your leg, uh, you're not embarrassed to go seek out a medical help for that. Then, you know, if you start to feel that this is becoming intrusive in your life, you should not be embarrassed to seek out medical help for that as well. Absolutely. And a lot of a lot of these types of presentations are triggered by stressors. Mm-hmm. So coronavirus has been a very big stressor for a lot of people. And, you know, it's not out of the ordinary to feel, you know, a lot of anxiety surrounding it. Or if anybody has developed these types of symptoms, they need to be addressed. Okay, very good. So let's, uh, let's move on to the third and last question. My workplace still makes us wear masks, even though we have all been required to be vaccinated. Since we are in regular contact with the public, I don't see an end to this forced health measure, but I'm getting fed up and starting to lose my cool. Is there something I can do to help me cope with this new normal before I lose it completely and quit my job? A lot of people are feeling really distressed at the moment um, in either direction. 
you know, this is something that we've been navigating for the first time together. Um, and so it's understandable as to why it would be difficult to manage one's emotions around this. And so it sounds to me uh, in that in that scenario that that person is having a difficult time managing their their emotions around the restrictions and and this sort of new normal that we've come to develop. Um, so I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me would be coping skills. So developing really positive, adaptive, healthy coping skills to manage the anxiety, distress, frustration around this. And the best coping skills, in my opinion, are um, DBT skills for this in particular when we're talking about emotion regulation. Mm -hmm. So DBT skills, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. Okay. And it's a therapy that was originally created by a woman named Marsha Linehan. And it was created specifically to target something called borderline personality disorder. And one of the elements of that disorder is a difficult time regulating one's emotions or managing distress in a, in a healthy and adaptive way. And those are, I'm not going to get into the details of what borderline personality disorder is. Mm-hmm. Um, people can feel free to Google that and, and obtain more information on it. But what's happened is that this therapy that contains four different sections or modules um, is really has been shown to be effective across the board um, for several psychopathologies. So in the treatment of depression, anxiety, um, many different things, I would even say that it's just they're great skills to have in everyday life. So, I use DBT skills in my own life just because briefly, they what to is, make life easier. Briefly, what, what is a DBT? So, so DBT consists of four different modules. So mm-hmm. one of them is emotion regulation. Another one is interpersonal effectiveness. Another one is distress tolerance. And the first module is actually mindfulness and sort of sets the foundation for a lot of the, with the content in the other modules. And so mindfulness is an amazing skill to have to be able to practice mindfulness. And what mindfulness is really about is, and again, like I'm giving a very brief overview, there's so much to say about it, but it really brings a person into the here and now. Because when we think about things like depression or anxiety, depression kind of lives in, in the past. People tend to ruminate over things that have happened and, you know, the negative aspects of their life. And then when you're thinking about anxiety, it tends to live in the future. Mm-hmm. So people are worried about what's going to be. Mm-hmm. And mindfulness is a great practice to help bring you to the present because that's really essentially all we have control over at any given moment. Um, and so it allows you to be there and, and really manage and deal with your emotions non-judgmentally in the present moment. And it makes them easier to, even if they're unpleasant emotions, it makes them easier to um, to cope with. Mm-hmm. And so that so is conjunction with li- the other... Living for the moment, stopping to smell the roses, not focusing so much on COVID, but on the positive things in your life. 
Well, it's even even in the context of unpleasant, people sort of think that, you know, mindfulness is just a meditation and that you have to be, you have to do something or you have to focus on something or you have to just have a clear mind, which is not what mindfulness is at all, actually. It's just an awareness of what is. Mm -hmm. So it's non-judgmentally accepting. There's an element in DBT actually called radical acceptance which is very related to mindfulness and and it's connected to it is sort of being okay with whatever comes, even if it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And so when you can learn to do that, that really helps to manage one's emotions or distress in some cases. It's saying, okay, this is here happening now. I'm feeling this anxiety now. I'm feeling this discomfort now. And just like everything else, it will come and it will go. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And so it's sort of an acceptance and awareness of the current moment. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. There's a lot of literature out there on DBT skills. And if you Google DBT skills, you know, several will come up that just tend to make life easier. I really um, am an advocate for, for a DBT lifestyle um, because there's so many really adaptive skills for so many different scenarios that just really make life easier. Yeah, absolutely. And and we should be taking advantage of all the resources out there. Don't be afraid. You need to work on yourself. Um, you know, don't, don't neglect yourself. Uh, address your issues. I mean, and if you can't do it on your own, then certainly uh, seek help if you can't. Um, absolutely. I mean, people need it now more than ever. Yeah, so. that's for sure. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining us in this discussion. Before we go, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about how we can access your services at Rogers Behavioral Health in Miami? Absolutely. So uh, the clinic that I work for specifically is in Miami. It's part of a greater organization. Rogers Behavioral Health has uh, their headquarters is in or their their head facility is in Wisconsin, um, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, but they have regional sites throughout the United States. Um, our site in particular in Miami is a partial hospitalization or in t- intensive outpatient level of care, which essentially means that it's day treatment. Um, we have two different programs that we treat um, children, so four different programs actually, because we treat children and adults. So there's the child adolescent program for anxiety and OCD, and that's mirrored on the adult side as well. And we treat mood disorders in our depression recovery program in both adolescents and adults. So um, it's a really great organization. Uh, If you would like more information, you can check out Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S-B-H, as in behavioralhealth.org. There are a lot of resources on our website. Uh, We don't have any regional sites in Canada as of yet, but a lot of people travel for our treatment. And, um, and yeah, you can find all of the additional information on our website. So Absolutely. thank you so, so much for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for, for being with us. And, and, and if you're in the Miami area, then definitely check out um, Rogers Behavioral Health. And if you're not in the Miami area, then just Google anywhere in your area to find help. Don't be shy. Get the help you need. Thank you for tuning in to the first podcast episode of Carve Out Time. And thank you to Dr. Lori Merling for joining us to discuss mental health issues amidst the pandemic. 
On our next episode, we will be speaking with Henry Stopek, personal trainer of HS Training, about how to maintain your physical health during the pandemic. Over this past year, it has proven difficult to maintain a consistent regimen when gyms keep facing forced closures. But now that gyms have finally opened back up, at least for the time being, some people are still too afraid to go back into a gym setting for fear of a potential outbreak. In the upcoming segment, we'll look at how you can rework your routine yet maintain the same level of physical training as before. Keep in mind Carve Out Time was designed to make you an active participant in our discussions, but we can't do that if you don't send in your questions. You can submit your questions to carveouttime at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-V-O-U-T-I-M-E at gmail.com. There's no E and only one T in the email address. And remember, all questions will remain anonymous, so please don't be shy. Send me your questions, your feedback, or even your thoughts about the previous episode. I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast, and I look forward to having you join us in our next conversation. Remember, no matter how busy your life gets, always make sure to carve out time for yourself.